Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. If you were to ask some of your neighbors or co-workers, if you were to ask them, what are some of the good things in life? If you ask some of uh, your friends to make a list of some of the good things in life, what do you think they'd put on their list? I'm guessing they would put things like family and friends and health and freedom. They'd start listing some of the good things. And then, and then if you pressed them and said, well, get a little more specific. I mean, what are some of the good things, the specific things in life that you would call the good things? They may choose some of the simple but good things. They may say, uh, how about the, the taste of a ripe peach in summer? Or a mug of hot chocolate on a cold winter's night in front of a fireplace. Or a good book to read. Or a week at the lake. Or watching your grandkids grow up. They give you a number of things that they would count as good things. There's a lot of good things in life. In fact, there's a lot of songs about the good things in life. Remember Julie Andrews singing, these are a few of my favorite things, right? This morning I want to... I want to show you a song and tell you about a song about the good things in life. This is an ancient song, the one we'll see today, written several thousand years ago. It uses the phrase good things in it. It's about the good things. But really, if you peel it back, this song is about the best thing in life. Not just about the good things. Oh, it does talk about that. It's about the best thing in life. The best thing that is the source of all the good things in life. And this morning, my hope is that the message of this song is one that captivates your heart the way it is captivating mine. In fact, I'm hoping that the theme of this song will become the theme of your summer. Not just your summer, but all the seasons of your life. This morning, I want to invite you to look at a song that talks to us about the good things leading to the best thing. It's a, it's a song that's written down for us in the book of Psalms, the Old Testament Psalter, which was the songbook for the Old Testament believers. And this summer, we're going through a number of the Psalms, and today we're going to be in Psalm 84. Psalm 84, which is a song about the good things, a song about the good things in life. So can I invite you to take a Bible and join me there in Psalm 84? And again, if you don't have a Bible here today, if you, if you don't have one with you, hopefully there's one near you in some of the racks in front of you or over in our fellowship center. And you could take one of those. And I always invite people, kind of open it up in the middle of the book and you'll hit Psalms. Psalms is in the middle. And today we're going to be in Psalm 84, which is a song about the good things. And I'm hoping that today this will uh, be a very encouraging and challenging song to you about the good things in your life that come from God. Let me pray for us and invite him to use his word today as we look at it. Father, this morning as we are here, we could list many, many, many good things that you've allowed to come our way. And today as we hear the psalmist speak about good things and the best thing, and pray that the message that he sings to us through the, across the, the centuries, pray that that message would find its way to our hearts this morning. Do that by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Psalm 84 is actually a song that's written in three stanzas. There are three stanzas of this one song. Uh, The Psalms are songs. They're really prayers that were sung. And this particular song or psalm has three stanzas. Each of them is four verses long. So the first stanza of, of the song, Psalm 84, goes from verses one to four. And then you can see that it ends with the little word Selah. Do you see that at the end of verse four? See the little word Selah? Selah, as best we can tell, was a musical cue to the instrumentalist to play a little bit. It was a a time for an interlude, a musical interlude, a time to reflect, to think. So the first stanza, verses 1 to 4. Second stanza, verses 5 to 8. Look what's at the end of verse 8. See the little word Selah again? There's another little musical interlude. And then the final stanza, the third stanza, goes from verses 9 to verse 12. So they're all four verses long, three stanzas. And as we go through it, you'll find that this is a song that has some evocative, emotive words in it. The psalmist is feeling passionate, and he has some longing in his heart as he writes. In fact, look at verse 2. You'll see it. He says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here, Here is a psalm that is written by someone who has a strong, intense desire going on in his heart. And his desire, what is driving him, what he's longing for, is to be close to God. In fact, that's what comes out in the first stanza of the psalm. Let me read verses 1 to 4, and you'll see it yourself. The psalmist begins in verse 1 by saying, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My flesh, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. In that first stanza, the psalmist is essentially saying this. He is telling you something that he feels in his heart. And what he's saying is that it is a good thing. It's a good thing to desire closeness with God. He begins by telling you about his desire, and he says, here's a good desire I have. I have a desire to be close to God, and it is a good thing to desire closeness with God. It's a good thing to desire closeness with God. Now, his desire for closeness with God comes out as a desire to be close to God's temple. Did you notice all the references to the temple in those first verses? Look at verse 1. He talks about the dwelling place. And then verse 2, the the courts of the Lord. And then verse 3, he says, a place near your altar. Talks about the altar. And then verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. He's talking about the temple, the dwelling place of God. Uh, The dwelling place would probably be the building itself, the temple building. And then the courtyard would be those courtyards that surrounded the building. Courtyards where people could come and gather. There would be an altar there. So he's thinking about the temple grounds, the building and the courtyard, and he is aching to get there. He he wants to get there. His his soul yearns and faints to be there. And now you may hear this and think, wow, this guy really liked going to church. I mean, you know, most people I know, you know, they don't quite have that passionate zeal to go to church like this guy did. And I would say, well, it's a little more than that, actually. 
To understand what he is saying, you need to know something about the significance of the temple for the people of Israel. You need to know something about the temple and its significance. So let let me just try to condense it, and I think you'll see why this is so passionate in his heart. If you read the early chapters in the Bible, the book of Genesis, the first book, you'll find that God chose Abram, renamed him Abraham, and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. So God began to build a nation through Abraham and his son Isaac. And as the nation began to grow in time, God gave them instructions on how to function as a nation. Those instructions came through Moses. We know them uh, from the book of Exodus. We call them the the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. And, And in those instructions, in the law of Moses, God told the people, look, I'm going to dwell among you. Of all the nations of the earth, I'm in a special way, dwell among you so I can bless all the nations. I will be with you. But then God said, if I'm going to dwell among you, we're going to need to do it my way. So he gave Moses instructions that they were to build a dwelling place for God. Started out as a tent. They called it the tabernacle. And then ultimately it became a permanent structure in Jerusalem. They called it the temple. Now it's not like God needed a house to live in, right? The the Jews weren't foolish enough to think that God lived in a house. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They knew that. In fact, our psalm begins in verse 1 by saying, O Lord Almighty. The Hebrew word Almighty is the word for uh, the heavenly armies. So they had a high view of God, a big view of God. They didn't want to box God into a little house or a temple. But God had promised that he would put a special sense of his presence, that he would localize a sense of his presence in the tent or the tabernacle or the temple. And then he said, when I, when, I, when I have you build this tabernacle, which would become the temple, not anyone can go into it. Only those who would be designated as priests, they could go in. The rest of the people could come to the courtyards, the courts of the Lord. And they could come and they could bring their sacrifices when they sinned, to have their sins covered. They could come and bring their sacrifices when God blessed them. And they could say, here's my thank offering. So they came to the temple courtyard. So when our psalmist is writing verse 2, And he says, I want to get to the temple grounds. The reason he wants to get to the temple grounds is he knew that's where you would go to get close to God. That's why he says in verse 2, my soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You see, he knew if I could get in the courtyard, I could get closer to God. And his heart is aching because he can't seem to get there. You see, think about it. The temple in Israel was located in Jerusalem, but most of the people didn't live in Jerusalem, right? It'd be like saying the temple was in Ottawa. Well, most Canadians don't live in Ottawa. Same thing was true in Israel. The temple was in Jerusalem, but people lived all over the country. And that meant that most people didn't get to go to the temple very often. In fact, the Old Testament law stipulated in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, that all the men had to go up at least three times a year to the temple. They had to go up in the spring for the Feast of Pentecost and Passover. And then once in the fall for the Feast of Tabernacles. But most of the year, the people were farming their land and living their lives away from the temple. And that is killing the guy that writes this psalm. He's going, man, I want to be there. I want to get to the courtyards. I want to be up in the temple where God is. In fact, in verse 3, he says, I wish I were a bird. wish I were a bird. 
You think, well, that's kind of a weird wish. Why does he wish that? Well, look at it. Verse 3, you'll see. He says, even the sparrow has found a home for itself, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. You know what he does? He starts thinking, he goes, boy, if I could be a bird, if I could be a little swallow, then I could do what they do. I could fly into the temple courtyards and I could build my nest somewhere in the courtyard and I could be close to God. I could even raise my family there. Verse three says, a place where she may have her young. He said, if I were a bird, those lucky birds, they can fly into the courtyard and they can build their nest there where God is, close to God. And then in verse 4, he says, or if I were a priest, oh, if I could be a priest, look what he says about them. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. That would be the priests who got to come up and stay in the temple grounds. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. He says, oh, how blessed it would be if I were one of those ones that got to, as it were, stay at the temple grounds and worship God nonstop. So here's his longing. He says, I wish I could get there because I want to get closer to God. Now, here's my question for you. How are we supposed to connect with this guy? How are we supposed to connect with this psalm? What does this say to us? I mean, after all, we live in a different era. Since Jesus has come, we know that you don't have to go to a temple to be close to God. In fact, in fact, the New Testament says, based on Jesus' promise, that God comes to dwell in his people. That is his temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, hey, you guys, you as a church, you are the temple of God. It's not a building anymore. God now dwells in his people. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So if you've become a follower of Christ, God has come to dwell inside of you. So it's not just about going to a building somewhere. So how are we supposed to connect with this guy who says, I want to get to the temple. I want to get to the temple. What do we do with that? Here's how we connect. We should connect with his longing to be close to God. Right? I mean, that behind getting to the temple, he wants to be closer to God. You and I should connect with that kind of a longing. We should have in our hearts this yearning, this fainting that says, you know what I want in life? Ah, I want to be closer to God because it's a good thing to desire closeness with God. It's a good thing to desire closeness with God. So I thought we'd do a bit of a desire check this morning, okay? I want to do a little bit of a desire check with you. Here's how we'll do it. I want you to think about some of the things that you desire right now. At this point in your life, what are some of the things that you are longing for the most? In fact, even think over the last few weeks, What have you spoken out loud that would reflect your desires? Things that you want, things that you're hoping for, things that you really long for. What would it be for you? What have you said to others? Maybe you've you've expressed a desire for a vacation. Maybe you said, you know what I really want? I just need some time off. And that's something you would say, I really desire that. My kids this summer are home trying to earn money to go back to school. They're actually desiring more hours at work. So it's kind of a funny thing, right? Some people are thinking, I want off. Some people are thinking, I want on. I need more work. Maybe your desire, maybe you've spoken a desire for for better health. Maybe you're going through some challenges right now and say, oh, man, I just wish I could get over this. Or, Or maybe for peace of mind. 
Maybe it's been an unsettling season. You think, you know what I want? I just want my heart to be at rest. What are the desires that you got going in your heart? Those are the ones we speak out loud. But if we were honest, we all have some desires that we're probably not so willing to tell anyone else about. See, we have legitimate desires. But sometimes we also have desires that we know aren't really so legit. Maybe if we were honest, we'd say, I have a desire for revenge. There's someone in my life that I wish I could get back at them. Or maybe it's a desire for recognition. I just wish that somehow I'd get, I'd get what's coming to me. Or maybe desire to run or, or maybe desire, to, you know what it is. What are your desires? Now, here's my question. Where does a desire for closeness to God fit on the list of your desires? Like, like if you had to rank them, where does a desire to be close to God fit on the list of all your desires, legit and illegitimate ones? Would you say that your desire for God is, is bumping up near the top? Is it, is it one that you yearn for, you long for? Or is your desire to be close to God buried beneath a lot of other desires? The Bible says you were made for closeness with God. I love how Augustine once said, he said, God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You were made to be close to God. But, but you and I know that in this world, often, often that desire for closeness with God gets buried underneath many other desires and those desires ascend. In fact, sometimes those desires become idols for us. They become what we really bow down to. So this morning, I'm asking you to do a bit of a desire check. In fact, did you notice at the end of verse 4, we're actually given a little time to do that. Look at how verse 4 ends. It ends with the word selah. Selah. That's probably the cue to the musicians to play a little bit so that we can think a little bit. In fact, we're going to do that. I'm going to invite David, uh, just if he's could just slip up to the piano. And I want to give you a little selah moment here. And I want you to just listen to the music and shut everything else and deal with this question. What are my desires right now? And where does closeness with God, where does that fit on the list of my desires? Let's all take a few minutes and think about that in the presence of God. Let's think about our desires and where the desire for closeness to God fits with him. Okay, you do that. Let's pray. So maybe as you're thinking this morning, you start thinking, you know, I I would have to admit that the desire I have for closeness with God has been buried underneath a lot of other desires in my life. How how do I get that desire for closeness to God up to the top of the list? I mean, how how does that one become more of a yearning? How do I ever get to be like this guy who says, my soul yearns, even faints? My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. How do you get that kind of a desire? Well, I think the answer to that question comes in the second stanza of our song, verses 5 to 8. He tells you, how do you get that kind of a desire? Let me read it for you, verses 5 to 8. 
Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. In those verses, the psalmist gives you a hint on how how a person gets the kind of desire that he has. How, How do you move that? Because yes, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to desire closeness with God. But now in verses 5 to 8, he tells you a second thing that you want to know. Simply what he says is this. It is a good thing to pursue closeness with God. Not just to desire it, but to pursue it. Like, do you want this? Then you're going to have to go after this. Because it's a good thing to pursue closeness with God. To pursue it. I see the idea of the pursuit comes out in verse 5 in the word pilgrimage. You see that verse 5? Look at it, please. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. He's saying, look, God, I'm going to go out on a journey. I'm going to start going after you. I've set my heart and I'm going to take off and I'm moving in your direction. Set your hearts on pilgrimage. Now for our psalmist, that pilgrimage would have been both a physical and a spiritual pilgrimage. Think about it. It would have to be a physical pilgrimage. He'd have to actually physically get up and leave his place and start walking towards Jerusalem. It would have been a journey physically. He would have been walking towards Jerusalem. But it was more than physical. It was also spiritual because he says in verse 5, he has set his heart on pilgrimage, right? It's not just a journey of his feet. It's a journey of his heart. He set his heart. Literally, the Hebrew says, "Whose the highways are of the heart. He says, I've got this highway in my heart, and my highway is going towards your way. Now, the same thing will be true for us. You want to get closer to God? You want to have that desire go up? It's going to be both a spiritual and a physical journey for you. It'll start in your heart. You want to get closer to God? It will be setting your heart on pilgrimage, saying, God, I want my heart going in your way. But then it will lead you to take some physical steps. You will do some things with your body to move you in the way that your heart is pointed. I'm here this morning to call you to that journey. I'm here this morning to call you to be on a journey, an intentional pursuit of closeness with God. But I have to tell you that if you choose to take up this journey to go closer to God, it won't be easy. I need to tell you it won't be easy. Actually, it's not me that tells you, it's the psalmist. You find that in verse 6. He tips you off to the fact that this journey towards God, towards closeness, this pursuit is not always easy. Look what he says in verse 6. The people who've set their hearts on pilgrimage, they're moving closer to God. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. You say, well, what's that all about? They pass through the valley of Baca. Biblical scholars are not exactly sure what he means by the Valley of Baca. It could be a place that was familiar to him, but it's been lost to us. And we don't really know where the Valley of Baca is. But there's probably a play on words here. The Hebrew word for Baca is very close to the Hebrew word for weeping. In fact, some of your translations may even say, as he passes through the Valley of Weeping. Valley of Weeping. He seems to be saying that on the journey to get closer to God, you go through the valley of weeping. There will be some tears. 
And I would say to you, that's true. If you set your heart to get closer to God, you will pass through the valley of Baca at times. You will go through the valley of tears. You say, well, what kind of tears will you find? Well, maybe the tears of frustration. There are times when you'll say, I just want to get closer to God, but I can't seem to get there. And there will be times when you cry out to God saying, God, I can't seem to get where I want to be. It may be the tears of repentance. As you move closer to God, he will begin to show you things in your own heart and you will be ashamed of some of the things you see. And he'll say to you, I want you to get, I want you to surrender that. And there will be times when you bring your heart to him and say, Lord, this is in my heart. I'm getting closer to you and the light is shining and I'm seeing this. And there will be tears of repentance at times. There also may be tears of loneliness because as you start moving closer to God, some of the people you're walking with may not choose to go with you. And there will be times when you press closer to God and other people go, you know what, if that's what you're all about, like, you know, I'm not all about that. So if you're on this pilgrimage, you may go through the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Weeping. But I can tell you, God will meet you there. He will meet you in the Valley of Baca. I know that because the psalmist says in verse 6, as they pass through. By the way, you don't stay in the Valley of Baca, do you? As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. He's like saying, God sends down his showers. He meets you there. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. In the Valley of Baca, even, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. I love the picture there. Here's what he's saying. He's going, you're going on your way to get closer to God. In his case, he's on a pilgrimage up to the temple. And he's going through the Valley of Baca, and he goes from strength to strength. It's like God gives him a little bit of strength to make it to the next part of the journey. And then he gets there. And then God gives him more strength so he can go from strength to strength to the next part of the journey. And then he gets to that part of the journey, and he's kind of worn out. But God gives him strength so he can go from strength to strength. And he keeps walking until he gets to Zion. Zion is the name for Jerusalem. In other words, God gives him strength all along the journey to get him to his destination. By the way, God will do that for you too. You set your heart on getting closer to him. You know what he'll do? Even in the Valley of Baca, he'll give you strength for the next step of the journey. Maybe that step of the journey for you, that first step of the journey will be to set your heart to say, God, I'm tired of just staying where I am. I want to get closer to you. And he'll give you strength to to make that resolve in your heart. And you'll take a step. But you're not there yet, are you? You need more strength. And then he'll give you strength to take the next step. Maybe the next step will actually be to pull away from some things that are pulling you down. Maybe some people. Maybe some activities. Maybe some habits. And you're saying, Lord, if I'm going to get closer to you, I can't keep doing this. Good night. This is not helping me at all. And he'll give you strength to take that step, to distance yourself, start saying no to that. And then you'll say, Lord, I still need strength. And he gives you more strength. He gives you strength to begin to read his word. Because if you want to get closer to God, you'll be spending time in the word. You'll be reading it. You'll be praying about it. And he'll give you strength to, to, to wake up a little earlier before you head out on your day. And you start spending time. And he gives you strength. And then he gives you strength to prioritize coming to a place like here where we gather as God's people and we worship and you say, Lord, I need strength to be there. There's lots of other distraction and you will go from strength to strength to strength. Sometimes it will be in the Valley of Baca, but he will meet you and give you strength as he pushes you and as you move closer to him. 
You see, it's a good thing to desire to be close to God. And it's a good thing to pursue it. And all along the way, you'll be praying. You'll be asking. And that's what in verse 8, hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Lord, I've set my heart. I want to be closer to you. Give me strength today. And Lord, I'm going to need strength for tomorrow. And for this next leg of the journey, give me strength. And you go from strength to strength to strength. But you got to choose to pursue that. You have to choose to set your heart and head that way. Did you notice verse 8 ends with the word Selah? It's like he wants us to think about that a bit. So let's have another little Selah moment here. David, would you help us? And uh, why don't you now have a little time to reflect on this question? Not what are your longings. We did that first. Now here's this. What are your pursuits? Are you pursuing closeness to God? And if so, what's the next step? Where do you need strength? What are you going to ask him for? Lord, would you give me strength today to take this step in the journey? As David plays, why don't you reflect on that and say, Lord, give me strength, strength to strength to strength, so I'll pursue you. Let's talk to him about that. You reflect on that. it's a good thing to desire closeness with God. And it's a good thing to pursue it, to pursue closeness with God. Maybe you'd say, well, if I go there, will it really, will it really get me where I want to be in life? Will it really work out in the right way? Well, the psalmist answers that question in the third stanza, verses 9 through 12. And he tells you something that will encourage your heart. If you've set your heart on pilgrimage to get closer to God, Here's something that will bless your heart. Look at verses 9 to 12. He says, he says, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Oh, Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. See, in the first stanza, he said, it's a good thing to desire closeness with God. And then he came in the second stanza and told us, and it's a good thing to pursue closeness with God. And now in the final stanzas, he tells us why. Because he says, God gives good things. Here's why it's a good thing. Because God gives good things to those who are close to him. God gives good things to those who are close to him. He says it's the best thing in life to be close to God. Look at how he affirms that in verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Pretty strong statement, isn't it? He's saying this. I would rather have one day close to you, God, than a thousand days anywhere else. Now think about that. Just take that literally. That's a thousand days. That's roughly three years. He is saying, I would trade three years of my life where where I'm far from you for one day of my life close to you. That's pretty strong, right? 
I take three years of my life where I'm not close to you, and I'd, I'd trade them hands down for one day in my life if I knew the smile and the presence of your, of your, of your glory on my life. I'd trade that. And then he says, you know what? I, I would rather like be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be on the threshold. I'd rather give me any job you can around the temple. I'll take that rather than being in the tents of the wicked, living in the high life. I just want to be close to you because it's that worth it. And then he goes on in verse 11 to tell you what are the good things that come to those who are close to God. Look what, look what he says. The Lord God is a son. The Lord God is a son. In other words, when you're close to God, God gives you the good gift of light and warmth, the light of his guidance, the warmth of his presence. And then he goes on, the Lord God is a son and a shield. God becomes your protector when you're close to him, right? He's protecting your life. He goes on, the Lord bestows favor. The Hebrew word for favor is the word for grace. He says, there is grace abundant with those who are close to God. The Lord bestows favor and honor. The, Greek, the Hebrew word for honor is the word glory. He said, it's like glory comes to your life when you're close to God. And then he says, no good thing does he withhold. No good thing. It's like God is not miserly with his gifts. No good thing does he withhold. But look how he ends, verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You think, ah, oh, rats. And that that, that kind of like disqualifies me. And I say, wait a second. He didn't say no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is sinless. There are no people whose walk is sinless. But you can't have a walk that's blameless. What does he mean by blameless? The Hebrew word there speaks of wholeness or integrity or completeness. He's saying this, if you are walking towards him with a whole heart that's going that way, if you're saying, Lord, all I'm giving you, all of me, I know I still stumble, but my whole desire is to go your way. If that's your walk, if that's your direction, no good thing does he withhold. You know why that is? You know why God withholds no good things from those who walk closely to him? It's because God knows that if he is the best thing in your life, if closeness to him is the best thing in your life, then all the other good things won't damage your soul. But if God is not the best thing in your life, then the good things he gives you become idols and they damage your heart. See, when he is the best thing, then you can enjoy the good things because they have their proper place in relationship to him. But here's something else. When he's the best thing in your life, then even the hard things get counted among the good things. When he's the best thing in your life, when closeness to him is the best thing, even the hard things will get counted among the good things. Because here's why. The hard things will just push you a little closer to him. And is that a good thing? Say, well, it is. The the thing that happened itself wasn't very good, but the effect was good because it pushed me closer to him. And that's the best thing I got going in my life is closeness to God. And so God withholds no good things. Some of those good things come packaged as hard things, but all of them are to move you closer and closer to him and to help you to trust him. That's how he ends verse 12. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. Well, there's one final thing I want you to see as we wrap up this song about the good things in life. And it's something that has special significance for those of us who live on this side of the cross. Those of us who live as New Testament Christians. Look at verse 9. It says, the psalmist prays, look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Did you see that? I'm on your anointed one. 
That's a reference to the king, Israel's king. He was the anointed one. The Hebrew word there for anointed word, uh, anointed one is the word Mashiach, which gives us our English word Messiah. So he's praying, Lord, look with favor upon your anointed one, your Mashiach, your Messiah. And if you know how the story played out, after this psalmist lived, many years later, God sent his Mashiach, his son, his anointed one, the Christ. And Jesus came to our earth and his mission was to bring us close to God. And you know how Jesus did that? He took all the things that were the biggest barriers for you being close to God and he took them on himself because the biggest barriers to closeness to God are all the rebellious and sinful things that we all do. And Jesus bundled those up, took them on his shoulders and went to the cross and paid the penalty for all of them so that now those wouldn't have to stop you from getting close to God. Do you remember when Jesus was dying, what happened in the temple? When Jesus was dying, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What's that about? It's as if God was saying, I'm opening the curtain. You can come close in a way you've never come close before. That's why the writer of Hebrews says to us as Christians, hey, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence through Christ, through his shed blood. Now we can come close to God. We can live in closeness with God that the psalmist in Psalm 84 in his day and time could not experience like we can experience. So I say to you, here's the good thing in life, the best thing in life that Jesus has made possible. He's made it possible for you to come close to God because he's paid for all the sins that kept you far from him. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to come and carry your sins away to remove that barrier, today that's what you need to do. The first step in becoming close to God, the step that we call becoming a Christian, becomes, means coming to Christ and inviting him to forgive your sins, asking him to, and to bring you close to God. But then once you've done that, get this, you can, through Jesus, have constant access to closeness with God. And that's not just a good thing. That's the best thing. That is the best thing in life. But we're going to sing one final song about that. But before we sing, I want to give you one more moment to reflect. The worship team will come. But would you just pause and ask God right now to help you to be the person who enjoys closeness with him through Christ. If you've never asked Jesus to be your savior, the one who brings you to God, why don't you just cry out silently right now, inviting him to do that. And then if you have, if you know Christ is your savior, thank him that he is your way to be close to God and tell him that that's the, that's the way you want to keep heading. You want to follow him to be closer and closer to the heart of God. Let's pray and then we'll sing one final song about closeness to him. Let's pray. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.